Welcome to the CTG Nation podcast, episode 25. Guest of the day is uh, Corey from Valkyrie Tactical Solutions. What's going on, bud? Not much, you know, just living the dream. I appreciate you having me. You know? Classic, living the dream. I don't being. know how else to respond anymore. <laughs> living the dream off of two hours of sleep and uh, Every day. running around all over the place. All right, so um, I'm gonna, we're going to start off with Corey's kind of intro, kind of like we've done with anybody that I sat down with, with me and Bobby and Kyle and uh, Brewer and Thomas. And this is kind of the last prong that belongs to Valkyrie. And he's kind of the, well, your doc. That's what they call me. Yeah. So just standard military jargon. And then we'll get into kind of the Valkyrie uh, connection. And then we'll get into some um, some some EMS and law enforcement relationship type stuff. Um, but Corey, if you just want to start with the top with kind of your upbringing and getting into the military and getting into EMS and public service and, you know. Just classic personal intro. You can go as deep as you want. All right. Um, well, you know, <clears throat> typical small town. Uh, grew up in uh, grew up very rural area here in South Carolina locally. Um, extensive, extensive family history in the military. Um, my father, grandfather, uncles, cousins, all Air Force, all branches except the Navy. Um, that was the only one. I, yeah, we don't have anybody in the family in the Navy. But so I grew up around it, um, and I had zero motivation to go into the military because of that. Honestly, I uh, I wanted to be a teacher um, growing up, and uh, then I realized that it uh, wasn't going to be what it was cracked up to be. And you know, one day the army recruiter came by, and I was like, "Hey," and he was like, "Hey." would give you some money and I was like I do enjoy money working at Bojangles isn't that good <laughs> um, but that was a little fast forward but um, yeah like I said I you know I just I don't really talk about myself really well but uh, yeah just grew up small southern you know small town life nothing nothing too complicated it was your typical uh, deep south family you know and I didn't live on a farm but we grew everything and you know all the vegetables and you know mom cooked the dinner every night you had you had neat fast food kind of thing and as i got older uh, the military and uh public safety kind of piqued my interest and i started looking into it and what really got me into it is when i was um, 14 going on 15 years old i was looking for something to do during the summer because uh, both my parents worked and my brother being seven years older than me he was always either working or by that time I graduated and was in college so I was home alone and you know I didn't have vehicles I didn't have a way to get around I just sit at home all day and uh, so I was looking for something to do and I saw a sign at, out front of the fire department that said now accepting volunteers and I was like oh well, I'll see what this is about and uh, looked Which into is across it. the whole South, especially. Oh yeah, I mean, big time. Always taking volunteer firefighters. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's actually getting worse now than it ever has been, as far as the volunteer side of the house goes. Mm -hmm. But I stopped in, and they were like, "Hey, we got this uh, explorer program," and I was like, "Cool, sign me up." And I fell in love with it from there. Uh, started taking a bunch of classes through the fire academy that next year after school. So I go to school. 
a gal school and I would go to like 1152 class or you know different types of classes in the evening towards becoming a certified firefighter so by the time I was 18 I already had everything that I needed to become a certified firefighter the day I turned 18 and uh, honestly I never wanted anything to do with medicine uh, it kind of scared me uh, and when I was volunteering and when I was a junior firefighter I never wanted anything to do with it and uh, talked to the army recruiter I was like yo I want to be a firefighter and in the uh, in the guard in the National Guard and he was like we don't have any firefighter slots but I can give you a slot as a medic and I was like mm, I don't really want to do that and then you know he did what recruiters do and he was like well look we just get you this will get you in the door and then we'll transfer you later <laughs> and here it is now 11 years later and I'm still a medic so you know about what year was that that was 2010 so I joined mm -hmm. in in August 2010 so I'm coming up on uh, coming up on 11 years on the 19th of August, mm -hmm. and uh, I actually got in. I went to uh, when I got in, you know, went to basic and all that, and went to uh, advanced individual training to become a medic. Mm -hmm. Came home and went back to work at fire department, and one of my friends who worked EMS was like, you know, come come try it part time, and uh, so I went to a very rural county here in uh, South Carolina and got a part-time job 18 years old you know because I couldn't work anywhere else and zero experience with a EMT basic uh, certification and I ran two calls and I was like oh I actually like this and so you know went the down downfall of you know my spiral into medicine and um, I, I started working here locally um, and it just kind of took off from there and then I uh, deployed as a medic uh, they kind of amplified that a little bit too when was that first deployment uh, 2013 2014 I was in uh, Afghanistan in the uh, Kabul area and if you know anything about the war during that time it was kind of the the first initial drawdown period so we had sent a bunch of um, well, about a quarter way through our deployment, we sent a bunch of people home. So I was a 20-year-old specialist, and uh, they were like, hey, you're now in some kind of leadership position. And not only that, I turned 20 years old on the way over. Like, in the air, I turned 20. So I was like, what? And they were like, cool, have a good time. And uh, we did. So that kind of that kind of just threw my love for medicine into overdrive, though, honestly. Um I enjoyed medicine, but I think that uh, I think that deployment, that a lot of the experience I had in Afghanistan doing medicine, uh, kind of made me love the craft even more. If you if you get what I'm saying, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a good job. It was it was fun, but that just kind of made me very passionate about it. Um, and that also kind of turned me back towards wanting to teach more too. Um, kind of picking back up on that, what I used to want to do as a, as a kid and be a teacher, but now do both of them together. And that's when I started exploring options to start instructing and teaching things too. So where'd that teaching bug come from, from the deployment? Like what was that connection? Like you wanted to teach more people how to do that to save more lives or what? Where'd, um, that, where'd that like light bulb moment come from when you were in Afghanistan? 
Yeah, that so that um that light bulb moment was kind of a uh, not teach more people to save lives as much as it was uh, teach people how to make the same mistakes I did. So mm-hmm. okay, you know, twenty years old, you know, just turned twenty on the way over there in the air. You know, it's funny because I did push ups into a Debbie cake at like two thirty in the morning in Bangor, Maine, <laughs> in the airport in a layover, right? <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was a good time too. It's a tradition that still happens to this day, but, um, yeah, I I went over and we didn't, you know, we got a, we got a fair amount of training, pretty good training, but you know, nobody ever told me as a, you know, 19 year old that, uh, you have to do stuff on your own. Like you don't know, like the training the army gives you or any, any branch, any initial, I mean, even even civilian school, they give you enough to to let you get by. But, you know, I guess you, you know, my thought process was, is I got this, like I know everything. Like the army taught me everything I need to know mm-hmm. in that, you know, 16 weeks I was in school. And I got humbled really quickly. And from there, uh, I kinda, uh, through mistakes, kinda spearheaded into wanting, um, to make sure people don't make those mistakes or the same mistakes I did. So you think that was just your, just your mindset? Because there's some people that go into the military, like I joined late, I mean 24 being late, that's crazy, but I joined <laughs> right, late yeah. and but like came from a military family. So you think that was just you being just naive and believing that like the army's going to give me everything I need and if they didn't issue it to me then you don't need it like was that yeah I think that was a little the but I mean that's what happens when you that's not always but and not necessarily just just in the medical arena but any service member that joins young well, I mean, you, there's there's a reason they target that group because you can talk them into anything. Yeah, that good, I mean, be that them, be that good or bad. Give them their keys to their Camaro. Tell them to have a good day. Twenty six percent interest. Right. Like all yeah. The things. <laughs> yeah, I think I think being naive was a big part of it because you know when you're growing up you 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 watch all these movies and you know you see and you hear things and then what recruiters tell you you know obviously they're going to tell you the good things i mean that's their job they're not going to tell you the terrible things. and my recruiter didn't lie to me about anything and i mean he flat out you know i was 17 when i joined so he had to speak to my parents too because my parents had to sign and he flat out told my mom he said look he said we're at war your kid's going to deploy um so i mean he was very upfront and honest uh, he said, especially as a medic, he was like, you know, it's a pretty high tempo job. Like you're not infantry, but it's a high tempo job. And, um, but I, I still think I had this, um, this ignorance going into the military, if that, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I, I guess I had painted a picture um, of what I thought it would be. And I thought, yeah, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like we, we are, you know, one of the most elite fighting forces in the world, but we, you know, you can't, especially in medicine and, and things like that, you can't give everybody everything they need to know. I mean, if you look at a pipeline for a special forces medic, it takes them two and a half years before they get out of training. And we do ours in 16 weeks. So I just being naive and ignorant to the process, I, you know, I was like 16 weeks. They, they taught me what I need to know. I got this. And, um, but there was also nobody there to tell me, hey, like, 
you need to keep you need to keep going. Like you need to keep learning and training on your own and and figuring this out because there was no standard um, training outside of your uh, initial entry training. There was no standardization of training uh, in the medical field up until about 2016 for the Army. Ugh. Yeah, you you went by the Civilian National Registry certification. So if you researched your National Registry every two years, you were good by the Army, which thankfully we changed because it's a it's a huge difference. And that you know that was something that was very humbling. And I made that uh, I made that pact with a couple of people I was there with that we would never, as we grew uh, in the military and became leaders, we wouldn't let the people that came in after us make those same mistakes that we did. But in my defense, and and in my leadership's defense, I had a very young leadership as well. So the people who deployed with me that were my first-line leaders were 23, 24 years old. So, you know, because that was mid-war, so a lot of people had retired or gotten out because they were tired of being at war for 10 years at that point, and they moved on. So we promoted a bunch of young people into these these positions that didn't know either so it's kind of a a bad mixture all together you know if you look at it there for a little while with the with all branches in the military i think that's just part of the beast though i remember when i first um i mean i was very confident after i became a, a young marine but then shortly after that i got into law enforcement and they i got to go to a lot of training while i was waiting to go to the academy and uh I had a very big and professional training department at the first sheriff's office I worked for. And they said, uh, you know, when you go to the academy, you know, I mean, being older, being military, having other life experience supplements, being a better law enforcement officer. But they were like, when you go through the academy and you get out of the academy and you hit the road, you know just enough not to get yourself killed. So it kind of sucks in first response and then on the operation side of the military where you can have all your textbook knowledge, um, but then that experience has to go with it. And sometimes that experience is going to be more. It's going to be lessons learned more than anything. Yeah. So that experience is going to, um, it's going to very drastic. It's going to be very drastic between what, I mean, what your experiences were. Because, I mean, there's some people, not everybody goes straight through the medic pipeline and goes to Afghanistan as quickly as you did. So somebody else's experience in the same years of experience as you or, you know, say it's like five, ten years of experience in law enforcement, EMS, whatever, like your experiences can vary drastically. It, how uh, stressful or tragic they might have been or you might have been, you know, say, especially in first response, if you don't rotate and you're just in a soft region for five years and then say you got to go work the hood one weekend yeah, it's, it's going to be a big fucking change of pace. Yeah, it's a hell of a change. And you you see that a lot, um, especially now. And, and I know I kind of relate back to the military a lot, but that's what I do full-time now. I know kind of getting away from the, the intro, but... Um, no, you can go back You can go back and forth. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll bounce back and forth. So I yep. bounce a lot, you know, again, medic, you know, kind of <laughs> spacey. But, um, yeah, so that's... That's a big problem we're seeing now too, especially moving out of the uh, the wartime into the peacetime garrison environments. You're starting to see people who um, either 
didn't get the opportunity to deploy because, you know, the drawdown and the war ending, things like that. And now they're in leadership positions and they don't have that experience. And that's, um, that's another reason why we do what we do in the group of people that uh, work for me full-time in the military uh, with the medical training team. Like we, hone, we hone in big on um, not tactical skills, but tactical medical skills because it's, you're, either gonna, you're gonna learn it two ways. There's one of two ways you're gonna learn it. You're either gonna learn it through the way I did through lessons learned, which is not a good way, um, or you're gonna learn it in, tra- in a training environment. And we didn't really have that. Uh, training environment we had a little bit of it a little bit of exposure to it and it was cool it was fun like there's some things I still can't talk about because I signed a non-disclosure agreement but it wasn't enough Um, but medicine sometimes is you know it's weird like you can't you can't train you'll never be able to train somebody a hundred percent for anything they may ever see in medicine because everybody's different and if I mean hell this last year shown us that like you know, medicine evolves and changes every day. Yeah. So, the best thing that we can do is educate off of, um, you know, what we've seen in the past and what we've done, and basically, you know, hey, like, it might suck, but you know, don't let somebody suffer after you, and that's yeah. where that's where we kind of hone in on. Well, the military is pretty bad of um, in in some training environments. They make it very black and white, where especially when you get into civilian first response, like everything is gray and from the hip. And I mean, I I try yeah. to I try to communicate that as much as possible, and then it also goes into different aspects of of my life and even how I how I do the podcast. I try not to structure it too much. I try to let it flow because that's what our that's our careers flow. Our careers are gray. Um, everything definitely is definitely no, a huge gray area. I mean, one of the biggest like sayings in law enforcement is there's no such thing as a routine call for service or a routine traffic stop. Mm-hmm. Like there's, it's it's always going to be different. Even if you see, <clears throat> like in first response, you see something come up on the cat or whatever computer system y'all use, and um, I mean, what's what's like a super typical one around here? And it's just like, oh, this looks routine on a computer screen, but then you get there and there's different there's different shit going on. Because nobody is ever going to give dispatch all the information. Oh no, never. And and you know, generally, it's funny you say that because uh, the less information you get, or the the more typical routine it sounds, generally it's going to be the worst that call that you're going to run that that 24 hour, 12 hour shift, whichever you work. Uh, I mean, uh, for example, one time <coughs> we got we got dispatched for a uh, cough not feeling well, and I i get there and i'm just you know moseying on in and like oh cough not feeling well right routine call and i was like oh damn like we need to go you're like you're shutting down like yeah you're not feeling well because you're not breathing well so you know that is that is a very um this is a very good point and everything that we do is a very big gray area and that's that's probably that's a very large i mean that's a very important point for people to know is that you're never gonna you're never gonna see the same thing twice even if you think you do it's somehow it's gonna be different yeah all right so after that first deployment 
go from there. We kind of went down a rabbit hole of oh, lessons yeah. learned and how you want to get into teaching from that experience from that first deployment, move forward from that. So I got home from uh, got home from Afghanistan, went back to work, local EMS, uh, full time, still volunteering at the uh, at the fire department. Do y'all do y'all encourage uh, medics to do medicine on the civilian side, or is that just kind of default how it how it falls? Uh, you'd actually be surprised. I we encourage a lot of people to try to do it, but because I mean it's the same thing, public safety anywhere the the pay is not great so less than 25 percent of of medics especially in the national guard mm -hmm. like less than 25 percent of your medics do medicine on the civilian side unless they go on to become like a nurse or something like that mm -hmm. they don't do ems mm -hmm. and it's really uh i mean you got medics that are you know home builders or accountants and things like that mm -hmm. and uh the only time they do medicine is when they come to drill or when they go to their their training once every two years. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know I would never be able to do have like two completely different professions. Oh, I because my professional outlook it's always been even with what I wanted to do in college it was all in the same arena. Mm -hmm. Like even though I'm in law enforcement right now, like if I went into like the gun industry or if I went into you know, sales for medical supply, or like it would still be in the same. Still be that same realm of yeah. Uh, category. Yeah, I would still be in that same area. Yeah, but you'd you'd really be amazed. Like I said, I know a guy, one of my good friends. He's um, he's almost done with uh, accounting school, and uh, he's a medic. So you know, he's gonna he's gonna finish college and be an accountant, and then be a medic in the in the guard. Like yeah. that's I mean, that's that's crazy to me because that's two whole opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. You know? But uh. Yeah, so I got, I came back home, I went to work, uh, went back to work, actually, local EMS, still volunteer at the fire department, just kind of trying to, you know, figure everything out, you know, 21 years old, bought a house, trying to figure out what I was going to do in my life. Um, I went to paramedic school, and uh, then I just, I kind of got away from that, wanting to teach there for a little while, and uh, for about six months to a year. And I, I got back into it. I took CPR instructor class and then just started building from there. And just doing small little um, teaching things like helping out with ISTs or in-service training for EMS and the fire service, teaching first responders for the firefighters uh, locally. And then just build off of that. Kept working EMS and till, uh, Till 2000, late 2016, early 2017, uh, I got my unit got mobilized for a stateside mission, and um, I went on active duty orders with them, and I didn't want to come back off because the paycheck was really well, and uh, I actually was about to get out of the National Guard. I was going to get out because my contract was getting ready to end. And I extended for two years and. <clears throat> 2018 I was getting ready to get out um, I was done with the guard and I, I was kind of uh, I was not having a good time with the guard and it's just I, I don't know I guess I just needed a change of pace and uh, I was kind of got stagnant with it and one uh, the well, he was uh, he was a CC whiskey manager for the state which is a medical manager basically a, um, was re reviving the 
medical training program and trying to rejuvenate it in the state came to me and was like yo somebody said that you uh, you like teaching you, you do pretty good um how about you come teach for me i said dude i'm getting out of the national guard tomorrow is my ets date i said tomorrow is my last day in national guard i said i'm done and i'm out he was like give me one year he was like and if you don't if you don't like it i'll walk away from it so were those for for agr ADOS, uh, uh okay. basically it's temporary active okay. duty. Okay. Um, and I said, all right. I said, I'll give you a year. If I don't like it, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to get out. So I extended for another year and I ended up loving it. He moved on to bigger and better things. And then I went AGR in 2019 and became the uh, chief instructor for the medical training team and just grew exponition, exponential. Wow. exponentially there we go words are hard you know remember that small town life i was talking about yeah words you know words mean things but um yeah that word so uh and then here i am today um you know in that time frame uh started meeting a lot of people and that's kind of how i met thomas and and uh brew with valkyrie so where so when did that connection happen uh, 2019, he actually reached out to me. Uh, I believe it was Facebook. So he sent me a friend request on Facebook, and I was like, um... This is Thomas. Right? Yeah, Thomas. Okay. okay. And uh, he was like, yo, um, basically he was like, I've heard about you um, through the guy that used to be in my position. He was like, I want to um, I wanna take a TCCC class and do TCC." And then become an instructor like what's up how do i do this and then we just started talking and just kind of took off from there and uh it was kind of slow with me at first in 2019 so that was a real busy year you know getting into the job and getting settled and all that and then um right before COVID happened we just you know kind of connected and took off from there so and uh here i sit today um you know living the dream so, <laughs> which I mean, he gave you an opportunity to teach. So I mean, that kind of knocked that out. Yeah, he on, um, on top of what you were already doing for the army. And you know, it's a whole different world. So like when it, uh, the army, like we we created, well not created because the program was there, but we we kind of revived the program and and brought the new medicine into the program, extended it, made it made it a little bit longer, more uh, tactically driven, and but teaching with Valkyrie is a lot different because it's now the civilian side. It's still kind of tactics and, and tactical EMS, but it's different. And Thomas was like, yo, you want to come teach and, and help out? And I was like, oh yeah, I can do that. Like, you know, I do it all the time in the military. And I'm telling you that first class I taught, I was like, and I had taught TECC before um, to civilians, but man, it was like a, it was a shocker and it was a whole different feeling. And I was like, all right, all right. I could do this. <laughs> like a shocker, just like the students that were in that class. Because I know the class um, that I took with y'all, it was it was a mixed room. Oh, it was a big. So they all, all of them are like that. Actually, <clears throat> I mean, every once in a while you'll get one and it's like a whole police department or a so whole that was, shift or whatever. So but That was actually my first class with, uh, with Thomas and Valkyrie was, um, um, <clears throat> damn. I just had I just had the name police department um, small town I'll think of it later I'll interject with it so just uh, listen about five ten minutes you'll hear me randomly uh, randomly call <laughs> it back out pop back up. yeah 
But um, so it was mostly law enforcement, uh, a few EMTs, things like that. But the difference I noticed, so I'm very passionate when it comes to training. And uh, anybody who knows the backstory of why, which we kind of talked a little bit and touched a little bit uh, about, that's that's why I'm very passionate about it. And the difference between Valkyrie and the military and teaching with those two is the military, you're, you're forced to go. You know, it's 12 days, um, you know, Monday through Monday, 12 days to Friday. And whether you want to go or not, you're going once every two years, which that doesn't sound like a lot. Once every two years, 12 days. Okay, cool. But you'd be amazed at the amount of people that just don't want to do it. Everybody that's in a Valkyrie class is there because they want to be. And that's a different audience. Um, they're more engaged and more in tune. And I'm a big person. Like I, I thrive my motivation off the people I'm teaching or I'm around. So that's a, that's, that's the big difference for me with them. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing. And I've come to terms with the ones in the military, you know, that, that are there because they have to be, or, you know, I mean, I get told, people tell me all the time, like, I'm just waiting on my contract to end. I thought I'd like this job. I don't, but they won't let me change jobs. So I'm just waiting on my six years so I can get out. All right, cool. Well, yeah, you know. <clears throat> yeah, that is kind of the fun part of um, the private sector is they're, they're either paying or being sponsored to be there. And I think, um, and even with y'all being like the the core three of Valkyrie and there's some other people that that uh, you know work for Thomas part-time or they'll get some advice from them or you know they've got you know a vet that they go through to for their canine stuff and they've got what is the ER doctor now that they have um, that's looked at some of the TEC class and looking at you know applying that to more civilian stuff with some of the military experience that y'all bring on there. Yeah, yeah, we got a doc um, now. Yeah, so there's um, your everybody that more or less works for Valkyrie, and then everybody that you are affiliated with to include CTG, and then your students, your client base. It's all mixed in the mix, like. It always works. Like everybody's like, oh, well, fire, we do this in this part of the state. EMS, we do this in the lower part of the state. Hey, when I was 82nd, we did this. When I was in Okinawa, we did that. Yeah. Like, and uh, I don't know. It's just really positive and it always seems like it works. It, it does. And that's actually, um, that that goes back into the wanting to be there and that, that, that willingness to learn you know, you, you come in as a, a police officer and then, you know, somebody comes in as a firefighter and then I have a paramedic there, like all three of you come in and you pay you pay for this class. So generally and in mind, gonna, we had ER nurses. Yeah, they were and actually they probably learned the those two ER nurses probably learned the most out of anybody in that room. Oh, they had a great time. Yeah. yeah they, we we talked a little bit afterwards about it. Uh that was the first time that had actually happened. Um, which was good too, because I, I feel like we, and I say we is a loose term, like um, in the public safety field, don't do enough to educate the hospital setting on what we do. Um, so a lot of them don't know because they don't learn in school unless they come from the pre-hospital setting. 
Right. Um, or they specialize in emergency medicine, which, you know, is very few. So it was very good that they took that that course because now, and that, that was their reason for taking it too, was we want to see what y'all do in the field. Like, we don't see it. So that was actually pretty good. But the, the mixture that we have in, in our classes and between, like you said, the students, uh, it, it's an amazing mixture that always seems to work. It's all public safety in, in some field, uh, whether it be, um, you know, like you said, the nurses, some something in that, that first response area or the brother-sister first response area. And it seems to always come together very nicely. And honestly, I kind of, I didn't expect that. Um, because you know you've always had the horror stories about well EMS doesn't like fire and fire doesn't like EMS and you know law enforcement doesn't like either of them because you know they they have to ride around 12 hours in a car and the firefighter gets to sit in a nice recliner yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. you don't uh, you don't we don't have that animosity in the, in this training everybody works together and not only that does the firefighter that comes in the rescue task force he's interested in, in what the law enforcement officer is doing. And I don't know if that's because um, we kind of stressed a point that, hey, like, you know, if you come in and you do this as a, a police officer, like, you're, you know, here's what you're gonna do. If you come in as a firefighter, if you move out of the stack, you, you could get killed. So I don't know if we drive home the importance of having to know what each other's doing to create that, that well-moving machine or not. Well, and with that diversity, I think you're going to find because that diversity exists and you have all those different point of views, there's always going to be a way to challenge somebody. There's going to be a way to challenge the yard nurse. There's going to be a way to challenge the young cop. There's going to be a way to challenge the old salty sergeant. There's going to be able to, a way to challenge the police chief. Um, like, y'all threw some different stuff at me when I kind of went into y'all's class and kind of did stuff a little different. Um, and I get, I presented stuff to, uh, to other people in the class where they're like, I know one wrench I threw in there. Like I, like we did like a practice for like an active shooter and I hid, you're not going to beat, which is suit. I mean, that's to me, that's super realistic. Why wouldn't somebody be hiding in an active shooter situation? Mm -hmm. So when you're in there looking for bodies, not every, it's not going to be blood and gore in the middle of the hallway. Yeah, it's Somebody not gonna is going to be fucking tucked away somewhere, hiding for their life, and you be in that, that QRF or that first wave that goes, in, well, second wave that goes in there after it's warm, you're going to have to be looking around. Um, yeah, you definitely have to look hard too because, I mean, you think about it, generally when that RTF comes in or that second wave comes in, the first one... You know the 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 door kickers and the the killers have come in. You know, right? And depending on the situation, they're coming in. You know, guns blazing or flashbangs. Everybody's yelling <laughs> like so to a civilian. Like, holy shit, what's going on? You know, let me get let me get as far into this corner as yeah, I can. Yeah, they just they just hear violence. Yeah, and they don't they, know that violence is coming from good men. And right. Women. Yeah, they just like you said, they hear the violence and they're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I need to be real quiet in this corner. I've seen scary movies before. So, yeah. uh, and then, you know, when you're coming through and then, you, you know, that, you know, that fog that people get when you, when you have that endorphin dump, they might not hear you calling out that, you know, Hey, this rescue task force, you know, call out, find us. Or if they got hit and then now they're losing consciousness or something like that. So you're creating that fog in a training 
setting is super important. Absolutely. And I think uh, I was I was in one class and then I went up to one uh, on the last day for all the fun stuff. And I helped y'all. I don't think you were there for that one. Yeah, I missed um, that one. Yeah. And uh, that, that stress inoculation, that fog, that quote, fog of war, which is, you don't use that, and that term is not present in for the first responder. Right. World, but just that that stress it is always created and it'll always be put on somebody in the training classes that I've seen that y'all run. That's a big thing. So that's a, uh, um, that's a huge thing that's coming out in the military too, is more realistic training. Um, instead of like, Hey, we'll put a tourniquet on you and then we're going to take it right back off because you build habits. And then when you get into that, um, that stressful environment, you follow those habits. So what you do in training is what you're going to do in real life. And I, I drive that point home um, in all the classes. I don't know if you remember me. I, I have a picture Thomas took of me walking in a circle, talking to all of y'all about that uh, right before we started. So we did one little practical and then, you know, it was all fun. And then I came in and was like, all right, let me be real for a second. But that uh, between actually um, practicing your interventions as realistically as you can and um, that threat stressful environment so the first time that you don't experience that that fog of war per se is in the bad situation is very important it's becoming a very big thing in all types of training I mean look at firefighters I mean firefighters have had it right for for years and years and years Um, I mean I went through uh, I went through my interior structural firefighting class in 2008, and in order to graduate the class, you know, we did a lot of books and we talked about a lot about it. But in order to graduate the class, you had to go in, you had to go into a burning building, and you had to search that burning building, and then you had to go in a second time and put out or rescue a victim out, and then go back in and put the fire out. And if you didn't, you wouldn't graduate. So they've been doing that. You know, because that's a stressful, that's a very stressful environment. And they've been doing that for years, but for some reason in uh, medicine, we're, you know, that nice little controlled environment in your EMS room, and, you know, here's your airway head, go ahead and intubate because that's, it's going to be perfect. And every time you intubate in the back of an ambulance, you're going to be sitting still, you know, the mannequin's not going to, or the, uh, the patient's not going to be moving or, you know, puking all over you in this perfect, nice controlled environment. And we're getting away from that, and that is fantastic. So from my non-medical caveman brain, um, I think that's because medicine kind of comes from the top down. Like it comes from large, clean hospital environments, and it comes down from that way. It doesn't come from the field up. When you're on a back road in South Carolina, fighting Bubba to get whoever <laughs> in the back yeah. on a on a dirt road that your ambulance has no business being on, who el- you, you have no idea who else might be there or is close to you. Yeah. That, so hey, we a, need a deputy. Cool, he'll be there in 15 minutes. And you're fighting somebody in the back of an ambulance with literally zero tools, less tools than us for sure. Yeah, that's it. So that... You Some know, fucking ER doctor doesn't know that. Yeah, they are. You know, well, especially doctors. I mean, so that that's another big thing. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a big point, uh, too. So that's changing now. So we're starting to bring from the bottom up, like from, like you said, 
even the the brand new EMT uh, that runs the road now has a say in in things and how they go. And um, instead of coming down from the ER and that that more controlled environment, and an ER can be very chaotic. And in the you know a half a second, everything can change in there, and it can be very chaotic. I've seen it, but it's a different chaos than on the street. So now we're starting to see that. But EMS is also still very young. So it's a very young field, career field. Uh, you know, 70s, late 70s, early 80s is when it kind of started to get its to get its legs and then um, take off. Yeah, I mean, like before that, EMS was like you call the doctor and he would come to your house. Either that, or the <laughs> funeral home would come pick you up and take you and just put you in the back in the back of a hearse and drive you to the hospital. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I know I know some paramedics that not necessarily um, I met paramedics that that worked for the funeral homes before, but I've also I know a paramedic that still works today. Uh, she worked at a at the local. Um, doctor's office and that's you know if somebody called 911 she'd get in the vehicle and she'd go over to their house and you know either A pick them up and take them back to the doctor's office or leave them there I mean that's mm. and she still works today so I mean that tells you how long ago that was it wasn't you know too long ago so and then the it, it, there's a whole lot that's a whole episode by itself talking about <laughs> you know EMS <laughs> and that and fire but I think that was the problem there for a while up until recently is we were still very young, misunderstood career field. So we didn't know where we were going to, who was going to control our training. Was it going to be the ER? Were we going to fall back under the fire service again and do our own thing? Or, But now you're starting to see more um, people inside the pre-hospital medical field. And you're starting to see a lot of physicians too that are taking a big interest outside of the hospital, inside the pre-hospital field, and kind of spearhead that internal training and standards to be pushed out. It's like uh, the Committee on uh, Tactical Emergency Casualty Care, you know, the uh, Working Group for Canine Tactical Emergency Casualty Care. Like, these were started within the last 10, 15 years and have really flourished to put out um, pre-hospital standards and only pre-hospital standards not not hospital environment not a veterinarian clinic things like that so that's a that's a big thing that we we have going for us now that we're doing is basically like you said that 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 bottom up and incorporating those people that may be around us like you said like in that area because it definitely is a different feeling I've worked rural EMS for my entire career and then, you know, you're 30, 45 minutes away from the hospital. And sometimes when you, you know, you keep mic up and you're like, yo, dispatch, uh, I need a deputy. All right, well, they're 15 minutes out. Okay, I mean, that that's a normal occurrence sometimes. Or, yo, I need some help. Like, can you drop fire department? Oh, we toned them twice, but we got a volunteer fire department with three people on it. Nobody's responding. Um, you know, you got you to gotta know what to do and you got to know who's around you to help. What resources you have. Resource allocation is a huge thing. Um, but that's something we're getting better at too. So kind of, that'll go into kind of like my next block here is, is the, the relationship between 
EMS in law enforcement in the uh, you know in the in the public in public life. Um, go into kind of your experience. Just I mean, both of us is, have only I mean we've been in South Carolina the whole time, so we don't really have a lot of uh, I mean we don't have public service experience or knowledge outside of here. Um, but just get into just your general perception of the relationship between us. Um, you know, kind of what's the difference between the day-to-day -day and kind of the, quote, routine calls, which sometimes it is pretty routine. Hey, this guy's whatever, take him to the hospital, cool, I'll follow if you need to, whatever. And then maybe some hot calls that you've been on. Um, yeah, we'll start with that and we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Um, so the relationship, man, it's like I was telling you before we started. The relationship. My, my relationship uh, in the different parts of the state that I've been in, in security and law enforcement, has always been pretty good because I've always, hey, like, this is what I got. You know, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? Like, it's it's always been pretty pretty good. I mean, I mean, you'll see somebody who catch attitude here and there, but like I live in the profession of people catching a fucking attitude. So right. it doesn't bother me that much. Um, I mean, I know some uh, some deputies in our area have uh, you know, other experiences uh, you know, not as professional and not as not as they haven't been as fortunate as I have. Well, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge advocate for everybody has bad days, you know, too. So I'll start I'll start with that because I've definitely, um, and I mean, I've I've been in the fire service since I was you know almost oh geez God it's been almost 15 years now, but I've called attitudes with firefighters on calls when I was with EMS. I've called attitudes with deputies, and it wasn't it wasn't anything that they did. It was you know hey I was. You know, I'm on the back half of 48 hours, and I've run 23 calls, and I haven't slept. You know, and I'm living off of uh, living off of Red Bulls, and and I'm just I'm just I'm just pissed at the world right now to be yeah. alive. You know, yeah. And uh, but I'm a firm believer in everybody has a bad day. But I always and I always made a point, and I still do, and I always will. Not because I've been there as a first responder through the fire the fire service, um, or when I went to work in a different county at one point, working with, uh, doing a little bit with kind of Tim's with the sheriff's office. And I didn't, I didn't really get to dabble a lot with it because it was still very uh, in its infancy phases. But I did, but I always made sure I say, it, it could be the shittiest call. Like you could have the worst attitude. I could have the worst attitude. But before we leave, it's just like, you know, it's just like leaving home. You know, you never leave home mad, right? That's always the thing. You never leave a call without saying, hey, thanks, I appreciate you, because you never know. Yeah. Um, you, that yeah, can thanks, make or break. Do you need anything else? Like, right, like, you good? Like, I'm good? Like, even if they don't do anything, hey, I appreciate you being here, because you never know when a call could turn, and you might need them immediately. Yeah. So it's better to have them there. So, but when you do that, you build that relationship, and... Um, when you build that relationship, they're gonna be more eager to come to you. So if I, you know, the volunteer firefighter who I tell every time that they run a call, hey man, I really appreciate everything you did. Like you did a great job, like thanks dude. Uh, you know, take it easy, we'll see you on the next one. Call if you need anything. You know, 
come by the station, hang out sometime, whatever, at, at 1.30 in the morning, they know they know who's working and they know what station you know, you're know you at and they know who what crew. At 1.30 in the morning, they're going to be more uh, willing to get out of bed and leave their family to come help me versus if I was to dig to them, they'd be like, ah, and then clear the pager out and roll back over and go to sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, relationships are a big thing. And the same goes for law enforcement, right? Because... Um, Y'all don't have to respond, um, you know. It's unless it's like an active crime, like you don't have to respond. But sometimes we just need your presence. Like it's nice to have you there because um, people are being assholes or, or whatever. Usually, when somebody with a badge and a gun shows up, they kind of calm down a little bit because they kind of bully and mess around because we don't have we don't have weapons and we're just you know EMS. We're the we're the little brother <coughs> or little sister of. Um, public safety field and so they kind of bully us around a lot so it's nice sometimes just to have that that you know police officer presence on scene and if i'm if i'm an asshole to you know all the police officers that respond to my calls guess what i mean i'm sure y'all know who's working what shifts and stations or you mm-hmm. you know you listen to the radio every now and again yeah, or you station, drive by what station they coming from who's yeah coming out exactly and they're not going to respond or, you know, some people might be like, oh, well, you know, Corey's working there today. Well, it sure would be a shame if I went 35 miles an hour all the way to this call, you know, Um, and it happens. So that's why relationships are very important. And locally, um, I've had a very good, over the decade of doing this here, I've had a very good rapport with about 100% of every law enforcement and firefighter here um I, you know there's a few people that don't like me but that's the human nature and there's a few people i don't like that's human nature right not everybody's gonna get along but professionally we, we still work together and i'm like hey dude thanks for coming out like helping us out do you need anything like do you use anything out your your personal med bag like we got you stuff like that yeah but without that like you <clears throat> public safety is um, it's a circle and if you're missing a piece and it becomes a very dangerous circle mm-hmm. and so you have to have that good rapport with everybody in the public safety realm um, whether it be like you know it might not necessarily be a dangerous like you know I'm gonna get shot or in a hostile environment but if I pissed off all the firefighters and cops and I got to pick up a 600 pound patient like there goes the safety you know yeah. and longevity of my my well-being whereas if i call for help i get three four people that come because i haven't been like that you know yeah kind of went down a rabbit hole on that one but i that's a very important thing like and it's something that the fire service had uh had a good grasp on is that brotherhood and that sisterhood for a long time eating dinner together doing things together um and ems never had that and i don't know I think it's getting there. It's I mean, getting I'll better. It, I'll see it every once in a while. And you'll have, I don't know, like I said, I mean, my my view's uh, positively biased because <laughs> I just, I don't know if it's how how I handle calls and when I do or don't call EMS or, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to say like I'm the fucking, I love EMS and I'm yeah. an EMS yeah. fucking cop. Like, I, I mean, I might have just gotten lucky. I don't know. 
Generally, I mean, so locally here, there's a lot <coughs> of good people um, that work, and, and most of them either uh, used to be in law enforcement or used to be a firefighter, and, you yeah, know, you just kind of... There's a lot of that. A lot of crossover, or lot of dispatches, military dispatchers. A lot of dispatch was on the road at one point. Mm-hmm. And it's... So so here locally, we kind of understand a lot, but I... Uh, so I worked in the low country for a little while, um, EMS down there, and it was the same, like... It was a bigger area, so I didn't know all the uh, the law enforcement officers, the firefighters, but the areas that I, I worked, like the fire departments and the law enforcement in that area, we all became pretty close. And then, like I said, I think it's a big thing. And you start you're starting to see EMS more and more uh, understand that and do do more things like that together. But I'm I'm huge advocate for it. I love. Like we we used to we used to eat together and do dinner. We do the soft or the uh, yeah softball tournaments. You know, fire versus EMS versus police officers, things like that. It's just you have to have that relationship. If you don't, it's something bad will happen to somebody one day um, without a good relationship between all three. I like it. Yeah, I think I don't know. It it's it's kind of hard to kind of address it when we both have had pretty good experiences where we're at um one thing we can kind of address and i kind of put this together for a reason is addressing um laziness Hmm. in first response you know in pertaining to how they work together because there's um like we've all heard stories about like where you call the EMS out there and they just walk out there. You want to go to the hospital? No? Cool. Sign this paper. And then they just leave and then I'm still there on scene with a shit show. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it, what the fuck was that? Like I've oh, I've only had that happen once or twice. I don't even think it was here. I think it was in a different part of the state. And um, That's okay. That's just my kind of laziness scenario from law enforcement. Um, how do you... I mean, us being kind of, you know, we like to teach and instruct and and try to educate people and cultivate relationships. Like, how do you think that could be addressed? The laziness with one showing up on scene, it's after another. Like, how do you combat that? You're never. Honestly, I I really don't know how you. Because there's a truly there's a, combat that. Because there are, I don't know how it always lines up, but you say where we are, they rotate. I'm sure they do this and they rotate different EMS hubs or whatever we're going to call them. But with my shift specifically, there is there is one truck that they always have a problem with in the same region. So I guess just whenever that happens, whenever they get back around, and you're going to see EMS probably at least once a shift. Um, it's pretty normal. Oh yeah, I used um, to see. I used to see y'all all the time. Yeah, there's always like one truck, and you're just like, God, God damn it. Yeah. Like yeah. W- like really? Like how does this? It's like I know they rotate, but how do I get this same shitty truck that never wants to do anything for me every time? It, and you know, so a, a big problem with that, and um, there's there's two ends of the spectrum that. Um, you either get the uh, you either get the burnout, who is there because that's all they can do at this point, and they're vested, you know, because they they've been doing it 13, 14 years, so why not just be an asshole for six more until I can retire? 
or you get the person that's using this as a stepping stone or it was a free college class to become an EMT so I just you know you know I spent six weeks for free and I got a decent the best paying job I've ever had and I'm using a step stone to make money to get out of here you're passionate people who actually like want to and to do this and love to do this and still have that that love for their craft and their job you won't see that um, in them because they're just so happy to to help to be there but you'll run into the you'll run to the people who are burnt out who you know whatever may have happened I mean they could have been the best EMT paramedic like love the job like done everything but sometimes people just reach a point and they get burnt out and um, it's either time to move on or try to figure it figure out what uh, what can respark that in you but those are usually the ones that you see that just show up and they're just like all right man yeah blood pressure 120 over 80 you want here sign this refusal right here and you know they never even touch the patient but sometimes that comes back to bite them um either they'll fix it or it'll fix itself after a while i mean there's been times where you know that's happened and then they've left and two hours later you're getting a call back and the person's dead um you know because something was going on but they didn't check vitals because they're being lazy and then you know they got called out for toe pain and ended up being a massive heart attack you know it's called referred pain but i don't think you'll ever truly get rid of it unless they start um right now ems is still a certification it's not a license um so you could go through six weeks of, of a technical college and get it with you know no prior education or anything like that you don't have to have a degree until you you know start making it a degree and it has to become something that that somebody has to vest a lot of time and effort into you're gonna have that or until you start paying better or um, you know not making it where the paramedic who's been doing this for 12 years he doesn't make enough money to survive now uh, he's got family and two kids so he's got to work a second job so he doesn't get time to reset and he becomes burnt out so until those factors and we're getting a lot better with the pay um, I've noticed recently in South Carolina a lot of departments are announcing a hell of a fucking pay jump mm -hmm. and it's actually pretty nice like I looked at one of them and I was like damn alright alright um, I might look, move looks pretty <laughs> enticing um, but it, I, local too I used to work for them but I was like well damn I was like y'all couldn't have done this about three or four years ago nevertheless the fact they tried to kill me like three times while I was there but <laughs> we won't talk about that but you know for that amount of money you know we, we can uh, you know I can run 20 calls in a 24 hour period and be okay yeah. but um but until those factors change, you're going to have those people who just don't care. Yeah. And it's sad because we hold we hold people's lives in our hand. And yeah. it's, yeah. That's why I take, um, I always push taking care of yourself because, you know, sleeping right, eating right, whatever. Whatever you got to do. I mean, everybody, nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody's going to work out all the time. Nobody's going to eat chicken, rice, and broccoli every fucking day. Like, it's not going to happen. We're going to be, there's going to be a night where we're pounding bangs. It just, that's the way it is. And that's why I always push taking care of yourself because I always want to be, it's not a, it's not a profession where you can be fucking lazy and be like, oh, well, I, you know, I didn't get enough sleep or I got in a fight with my old lady or whatever. 
and carry it into carry it in into work with carry you. it into the most dangerous job that you can really do. And not only that, but you know, domestically, it's not yeah. you know we're not overseas in fucking combat or nothing, but it's still the most dangerous you can do here. Um, because I want to make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do there and come back home. Because I like yep. I like my home. I like my things. I like me. I like my dog. I like my fucking kids. Right. Like so when I'm when I'm at work, that's just my personal outlook, and I don't think I see it enough. But I push it a lot. What's that? I mean, we were talking about it earlier. You know, I ran a call to the the fire department the other night, and um, it it was gonna be a little bit for a law enforcement guy. There's one thirty in the morning, and I was alone. I put my plate carrier on before I walked in because you know. Whether or not the scene was bad at that time, like you said, I want to go home. Like, I like my dog. She's pretty cool. I like my kid. Like, yeah. I like my house. Uh, you know, all that. But nobody was there but me. So whether or not the call, like you said, is that routine call or that, you know, it sounds routine, it can change in a heartbeat. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be in there with nothing and it changed. So I, I 110% agree with you on that. It's it's something that's often overlooked. Um heavily especially in ems is taking care of yourself because and i mean i'm not you know i'd be a hypocrite if i told you i I did it i mean you know i told you i told you earlier as i'm sitting there drinking a uh you know an energy drink that i had like two hours of sleep last night and that's a normal occurrence for me and it's it is um but i'm not the healthiest person and um we're usually the worst when it comes especially um ems we're usually the worst when it comes to taking care of ourselves, and uh, especially mentally. Um, mental health's a big one, and I, you know, I had this thought process for a long time: is you know, I'm fine. I'm the helper. You know, I help other people. I can't be broken, so there's no way. When in reality, you can, and not even realize it. So EMS is terrible. EMS personnel are terrible about taking care of themselves, whether it be physically or mentally. Um, and that's, you know, it's getting better. I'm starting to see a lot, you know, a lot more places offer like a, uh, a workplace, like wellness routine, you know, more, um, you know, counselors. And, and I actually had a conversation the other night about this, um, with two, two of my very good friends, paramedic and uh, advanced EMT. And we were talking about it. I think a lot of the problem in EMS when it comes to mental health is, you know, you could run this gnarly call, right? Like you you go out there and you can see some of the most traumatic shit you've ever seen in your life. And not only just see it, but have to try to fix it. And if you don't, then somebody ultimately dies. All right. And then as soon as we get done with that, we clean our rig, we talk to our partner and we go right back into service. And then 25 minutes later, the supervisor's calling saying, Hey, why is your report not done? So you've given me you know, you've given me a short amount of time to take the most wildest shit I've ever seen in my life and tried to fix and failed to do it probably because um, nobody ever prepared me for some of the shit that we've seen. Not only that, you've, you've given me an hour to not Decom- only to decompress, basically. not only just absorb it to understand it, but make sure my partner's okay as well. And then you want me to spit it back out into a report because I have four or five hours to do a report before you're before I've 
uh, missed um, you know the SOG time frame so I've got four hours to run this call digest it make sure my partner's okay be okay with everything and then spit it back out and paint it again on a picture through my mind into yeah. a piece of paper yeah with and do it all over again in the meantime and I think that's where we fall short a lot with uh, mental health and EMS and I never thought of that until my friend brought that up I was like damn I was like well, you mental are health right. is the is like the hard mysterious one like I, I hit on just physically taking care of yourself a lot because that's the easy one. Yeah. That's the easy one and that's half the battle of mental. Exactly. And I that, think that I, other half of mental is like fucking black magic. Like I fucking get it. Yeah. And other people got to deal with it in different ways. And so I hit on physical cuz that's the fucking easiest. Don't go to McDonald's. Holy fuck. Set an alarm. Right. Go to sleep. Like that's easy. And then you're taking care of half the battle with mental. But then with mental, you might have to get into some black magic shit to fucking figure it out. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, 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 again, I've been very lucky. And I, I've always, because of my upbringing and education, for me, whenever I've had some oh shit fucking moments, the biggest fucking thing, and I kind of referred, I mean, I can't refer to, you know, a lifelong of experience, but uh, in in combat non-killing by Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, he talks about the mental health crisis wasn't as bad, uh, let's say pre-Vietnam, um, just to put a time frame on it, than yeah. it is now. Because we just worked fucking different. We operated different, we talked more, you were around the campfire more, you were on a fucking ship for a week, coming back from combat, mm -hmm. you're decompressing with your boys. And I know that's how I deal with it, is I'm gonna, like, I have, other Marines on my shift. I have other people that have been in law enforcement for 20 years. I also have people that are like basically rookies. Uh, I've got people that are from other races. I have options of who I can talk to. So the combination of I got anybody I can talk to and I'm not afraid to talk about it either. That's, that's a big that's thing. A big thing. Yeah. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to fucking talk about it because I'm going to do what I got to do to take care of me because I love all my things and all of my life. Right. And then to complement that, I can go fucking throw around weight in the gym. And that's not, that's my, that's my little puzzle that I've put together to fucking deal with it. And see a lot. So a lot of people, I mean, man, that that's, that's the biggest thing you said, the physical <coughs> it's the easiest part. And it really is. But the longer you get, the further you get away from them, the longer you start a rabbit hole inside that, inside your head, the harder it seems. And then, you eat McDonald's more because it's just easier than cooking, and and I'm not gonna lie. Or they to you, give man. it to you 50 percent off, yeah. or there's some places that'll give it to us for free, and right. it's not the healthiest place. But like, fuck, man, it's free. And you're like, oh, I'm gonna do it this, you know, once or twice because you know we're real yeah. busy and all that. And I didn't bring. And you my justify your cheat meal, which ends up being like a cheat meal a day, and you just and it it, it just spirals into a pattern, and that pattern. It's hard to break if it's even recognized, because uh, a lot of time it's not recognized. Um, they don't think anything's wrong. Well, I only do it once every third day. You know, it's fine. Every other day I eat, you know, perfect. But then you start to gain weight. So then you start to your your sleep patterns start to get worse, or you know, yeah. things like that. And it I mean, it even goes down to drinking 
enough water, and I don't. I'm terrible about that. Do yeah, not drink enough bad. water. I don't even think I've seen you drink water. Yeah, I, it, it's terrible. It, I, I got a liter bottle. I'm doing better because mainly because it's you know. You a gotta get one of those outside. moto jugs. And it's like yeah. 9 a.m. Start right. good. Yeah. Start halfway here. there. And then at like 11 a.m. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're supposed to be at like you finish, know, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's me. I, I'm terrible at water. Um, We're going to buy you one of those. Oh, God. <laughs> it is funny because I see a lot of medics. Um, but when, I'll get you, like, the Moto one. What's the what's the uh, EMS color? You know, you see the, the thin blue line. Oh, the, the white line. Green, the white line. The white line. I'm going to get you a thin white line. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, that'd be good. I'd rock it. I'd totally rock it. But, uh, oh, man. I see a lot of medics with those, you know, or they get their gallon jug of water and they like write on it with a Sharpie and they reuse it for like a month and a half. And I'm like, you, you should probably get rid of that by now, yeah, but whatever. No, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty terrible. I won't lie. I'm terrible. Like I said, not, uh, we're not the best at taking care of ourselves, but it, it creates a, uh, it creates a pattern that's hard to break. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that cause I've been there. Um, and once you recognize it, you got to have that, that willpower to break out of that so you can move back into because all that will lead into you becoming that burnt out, disgruntled person that starts yeah. to ruin your relationships again. And it all comes full circle. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, cause, because of the calls we go on like back to back to back, you got to you gotta use your resources to combat that. I mean, physically and mentally because there was... I mean, this weekend wasn't bad for us, but I mean, there was, I mean, you went from, you know, a, a, a regular traffic stop and then you go on a traffic stop and, and dispatch is like, oh, are you, whatever your code is for if they're not around. We have different, everybody has different codes for that. And I'll be like, oh yeah, go ahead. And be like, oh, well, yeah, he's a, uh, a, a registered gang member out of Sumter County. And you're like, Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. I've already made contact with this guy, and everything's fine so far. But let's see where then, this goes. And then you go to us. Then you go to a domestic violence call where somebody got their fucking ass beat for like the third time. They're probably gonna drop calls again. Then the next call after that, you're gonna go to, you know, some some disabled veteran that has no idea where he is that tries to pull a gun on you. And then you have to. In there, you gotta still decompress and take care of yourself, whatever, however you do that. It's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I'm telling you, I've done it. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen a lot of trauma. Um, you know, trauma doesn't really scare me, uh, right? Because it's what we do. You know, trauma is the uh, the sexy, as we put it in EMS. The medical scares me because I don't know. Um, not that I don't know, but there's a lot. There's a lot, like. Like I said with the toe pain earlier, it, I mean, I've had that happen. It, somebody called EMS and said, hey, my shoulder hurts. I just had shoulder surgery two days ago. And, you know, I went in and I'm talking to her and she's talking to me fine. And I was like, you know, how about this? She's like, I don't want to go. My daughter called, you know. Um, Third party calls know. are always the worst. Oh, yeah. Like, my daughter uh, called because she's worried about me. And, and the daughter was there and she's like, yeah, I'm, I just have this feeling. And I was like, you know what? And I was like, we got to check your vitals anyway because that's, that's policy to check your vitals on anybody we come in contact with. Because she looked fine, shoulder pain, or shoulder pain, it was, she just had surgery like two, three days ago, shoulder surgery. And I was like, you know what? Let me check your vitals. 
and um, blood pressure was a little elevated, pulse rate was a little elevated. I was like, I will put you on cardiac monitor. Is that okay? I don't mean you have to go to the hospital. She's like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever you think is necessary. So I put her on cardiac monitor and I'm like, hey, you're going to the hospital. She was like, wow. I was like, you're having a massive heart attack. Had I just done, you know, it, just been you like, yeah, left, you look got good. Out in 10 minutes and oh, she would have been dead. dead. Oh, yeah. she would have been dead. It, yeah. it, it may have been the way it looked on that monitor. It may have been an hour or two. She probably would have died. Um, but had I been in that, you know, space where I wasn't taking care of myself or in that disgruntled area, I just walked in and be like, oh, your shoulder pains because you just had surgery. Um, no, like she would have died because she didn't want to go with us. Her daughter called and she was probably just talking like, oh, y'all shouldn't have came. Like I told her to call back and tell y'all not to come, that it's fine. It's just my shoulder. You know, I'm going to take another pain pill and, and try to get into bed. I just had sh surgery. But, you know, a lot of a lot of people would have been like, oh, all right, well, you know, I got to file a little bit of paperwork, you know, sign here, do that because it's cool because I'm going to run 16 calls and I'm tired. This yeah. would be easier on the mill call, and she had died. So that's a you know, it's a big thing. It happens. So. <clears throat> yeah, it can be scary if you don't dig deep enough. But then you you do that, and um, moving on, like you get done with that, and then you're on a trauma, and then you, and then you see some of the most the goriest car wreck you've ever seen in your life. Like you said, you you, you never know. Um, or you get your ass beat on call. Uh, yeah. Plenty of diabetics have beat my ass before. Like those, <laughs> I'm telling you. So, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out there, Sumter County. All right, there are some strong ass people in Sumter County. Okay, <laughs> I never had my ass beat so bad <laughs> as I did in Sumter <laughs> County. And I mean, I've been through combatives classes, like you know, self defense classes through the military. Like you know, I. I you know, was around infantry dudes for a long time. What I grew up in the country. You know, what yeah. we did for fun, we beat each other's ass. We didn't have anything else to do. You know, what else were we gonna fight? do? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah, WWF, let's do it. Yeah. We just beat each other's ass all day long growing up. And I'm telling you, I never had. Yeah, Sumter County, man. I'm telling you. I feel Those. like Sumter County is the butt of so many jokes. <laughs> like, just in it's the Florida. Of, it's the Florida of South Carolina. Sumter man. <laughs> <laughs> Sumter man. Oh my god. I might name this episode Sumter man. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh man, I'm telling you. You know, it's funny cuz you said that earlier <laughs> when we were talking about, you know, bumping down the back road and the ambulance should never be on Bubba Jeez. beating your ass in the back. I was like, "Oh my god, has he been to Sumter before?" Like <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's that is more and a lot of people don't think about it. Like, that's most of South Carolina. I remember you joke around being in the backwoods a certain part of whatever. Man, that's most of, that is most of the state. And, like, you only see something with some of these podunk parts of South Carolina if it's something big that happens on the news or whatever. And then, and then the places that have all the influence are, you know, Charleston, Greenville, Columbia. <laughs> like, yeah. besides that, I mean, but, I mean, there's so many places – I mean, we we joke about you know certain corners of the state, um, yeah, like the PD, the PD area, the kind of the top corner. So some like Florence, like Florence, Dillon, Myrtle Beach, all that. Like, there's not a lot of stuff there. Every no. single call is like the wild stuff we fucking talk about. Like half of Florence, all of Marion, all of Dillon, 
uh, Williamsburg, half of Georgetown, De- that country Williamsburg. half, like that that corner right there. There ain't fucking shit there, man. That's the why. It's literally there a wild west. I there. mean, and look and then, at where we live. Down and then, yeah, like we got a kind of a, a, a weird corner, and then down in the low country, like like Allendale, Bamberg, the top half of Jack. Like once you get top like, half of Berkeley, Berkeley County, top half of Berkeley. Yeah, include top half of Berkeley in that Williamsburg, the top end of the lakes right there. St. Stephen's, and Bono, and places there like that. There ain't nothing up there. I, I worked for Berkeley for a, a while, and I'm I did a ride. You. I did a ride along with Berkeley, and they showed me where it was. And that was before I worked down there for the short period that I did. And I was like, I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, like whatever that region is that butts up to Somerville, like they get all the attention because that's where all the, oh, that's Dorchester. Where all the pe- that's where all the people are. You know, that's yeah. where all the new. That's where the new. Uh, all like oh you saw yeah goose creek and all that stuff that's and uh but man you get halfway to monk's corner and then there's like monk's corner is like a little blip on the screen and they got their own pd but then after that it's nothing good luck yeah and i mean good luck and a lot of i mean a lot of counties are like that i mean richland county used to be like that Kershaw County is still like that. Richland Sumter, County, you still get you still get some areas. Yeah, down there in Eastover. I mean, but it, I literally think every county in South Carolina is kind of set up like that. What's another one? Aiken. Uh, or, I mean, uh, besides kind yeah. of the edge of Aiken. But yeah, when like, you get towards Aiken, Georgia, but yeah, but like that that space where it's like Aiken and Lexington County right there, there ain't fucking shit there no. either. Like every. Every county in South Carolina is like kind of half or twenty five seventy five of there's a wild west side yeah. and then there's kind of like the city side and kind of around that or if it's near a highway or the coast or the mountains or something. Hey, I mean, you think about it. Yeah, you look at any county. I mean, Horry County, like you say, the coast. Like you have, I mean, you have you that rural Beach region. All, yeah, but yeah, you the have, west side of Horry County is. Bananas. You have Aner and and places like that that are the country, and then you have Myrtle Beach. You know, yeah. So like, it's a huge yeah. difference. Yeah. And you're, I think, yeah. Every, like that's much a completely different. That's a completely different workspace. No matter what you do, you can like say if like you work for like the city of Myrtle Beach, and then say like, oh, I'm gonna go to county or whatever, and you work the western side of Horry County. Oh, that's wild. Holy fuck. I can only imagine, like, uh, working for the fire service down there. Um, I don't know how they do it if they rotate stations. Because um, I know EMS is in it work, is in the county. It's run by, uh, run inside the fire service. So you have to go to work for the fire service to work EMS. Hmm. Um, I mean, I can which, only which imagine. Which is common. I mean, it's, it's a, yeah, lot of, a lot of big places. A lot of that. the bigger cities do. They, put them, they fully integrate them. But I can only imagine having to rotate. Like you, like I said, you rotate. You know, Aner. You know, Conway is kind of a little, little, little busier. Not still not too busy, but yeah, Conway's pretty built up now. Then now you rotate downtown Myrtle Beach, or you're running calls downtown Myrtle Beach, backing up the city of Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Like that's a hell of a change, you yeah. know? Yeah. That's a huge difference. Yeah. But it's yeah. I mean, I know just everywhere. from from policing. I mean, there's and I, I've talked about this before. I wouldn't want to work for Myrtle Beach or like the city of Charleston where I'm in a like a touristy area because because of politics you have to kind of handle those people different. Yeah, it's uh, tourism yeah, cuz I mean you get that's you, a different. That's a oh different god, you I mean you international. I mean 
you got people that come down from different countries with work visas and and things like that for the summer, and and they work in Myrtle Beach and. Well, then Myrtle Beach has like the Russian mafia and shit. Oh yeah, because <laughs> that's the yeah, it's the biggest like work visas. Um, I remember growing up like um, all the Russians in Myrtle Beach. You see them everywhere. I mean, hell, one time, um, God's been years ago, but I was at uh, was at Broadway at the beach and my buddy and we were, you know. 22 years old down there partying, right? Because yeah. that's what you do. And uh, it was one of my army buddies. And then, uh, well, you know, we, we might have drank a few too many shots at uh, Malibu's, which is a club at Broadway. And uh, <laughs> I don't remember much of it, but, uh, you know, uh, we don't, adults don't black out, right? So adults time travel. That's, uh, that's, yeah. yeah, we don't black out, we time travel. It's more classy. <laughs> but um, I just remember like being in a parking lot. And I'm like, where am I at? And there's just hundreds of people from Ireland around me. I, we somehow, this Irish dude walked up and asked me for a cigarette or something. I threatened his life. He said I was cool and invited us to a party. I gave him a cigarette. Next thing you know, I was, a blob, I was an Irish blob party in downtown Myrtle Beach. I was like, what? happen like i'm in dublin what literally (laughs) hundreds and i mean we saw them like riding the golf cart down the strip the next day going to uh going try to get the greasiest food we could find um we saw them (laughs) and we actually like you know they waved at us and we pulled over and talked and they were working for the summer like that's what they were doing in myrtle beach they came and worked for work um like those little uh you know i call them tourist traps the, the shops and things like that for the summer Oh yeah, We're, like wings. Yeah, and wings, all the... eagles. And yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And I'm like, it. That love is, it. That is just wild. And I didn't realize, like, you know, that's a huge thing. Like, and then, but then if you're working a rural part of South Carolina, you run into Irish dude. You're like, <laughs> why are you here in the woods? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? We uh, on a level one to Ted, where are we sitting at right now? Like, yeah, what's going on? But yeah, it's uh, Super funny. Yeah, it's it's wild. All right, so to kind of to wrap it up, what are some? And you can go, you can split the. I have it kind of split in half. You can do whatever the hell you want. Um, tips or stuff that you wish existed in general medicine for law enforcement and for military, like not like. What they need to know, like, well, I mean, stuff that we like to teach with with first aid, CPR, TECC, TCCC while you're in. Um, like, what do you think there should be more of with with general knowledge that people that are not in the medical profession, but then because you're kind of teetering, I gotta tell people this. They're like, oh well, I wish we could do more. It's like, motherfucker, is law enforcement? We already do enough, and yeah. I don't want now. I don't want medical liability right. on top of my civical and civic and legal liability like I'm cool putting a tourniquet and maybe stuffing a hole and uh, maybe some CPR and some sternum rubs that's about it bro yeah like that um, that life-saving care that's really all that you know that first response life-saving care um, stuff that's gonna kill them before we can get there uh, that's the big thing like you said you know the tourniquet um, the CPR things like that um, but as far as like actually like doing patient assessments and stuff like that, you know, I don't need to worry about that. No. Um, but I just don't know who. Like, why would you not? I'm still seeing guys that don't have tourniquets on them. 
Fed or they're like, oh, it's like, oh, they just threw it in there. It's in the back somewhere. And if you see the back of some of these squad cars, you're like, what? Yeah, I've seen uh, some. They're like, well, I know where everything is. Well, motherfucker, somebody might have to come back here and get yeah, something you for get you shot? or for somebody else. And um, I don't know, for me, and, and I always push it to the people around me, uh, like, hey, dude, take a CPR class. Take a Stop the Bleed class. Take a TECC through Valkyrie. Um, get a tourniquet. It's 20 fucking dollars, man. It's 20 right. bucks. It's $20. Yeah, don't buy it off of Wish.com. Yeah. Because it's 10 um, In North American is in fucking South Carolina. TACMED is in South Carolina. Yeah, the like, two biggest manufacturers what, of that stuff. Is what is your excuse? Um, so I know for me, I just try to... I, like, basic first aid... Stop the bleed. Uh, I don't know. I just think the those basics is what I think. And I mean, that, any law enforcement needs, but st- I'll still run into people that don't. They don't fucking have it. Yeah, you. I mean, I run into it. I mean, I've seen it too, and it just I don't. You know, I don't understand it. Like the people that don't carry a tourniquet. Now I tell people this all the time: if you carry a weapon, when are you going to use that weapon? when somebody's trying to kill you, right? Or kill others. Mm-hmm. So why would you not carry a tourniquet? Because what if they get the upper hand? That's just my biggest selling point right there. If you're gonna employ a weapon, whether you're a CWP holder or you're law enforcement or anything, if you carry a weapon, you have the um, ability to be put in a situation that you have to employ it, which means that somebody's threatening your life or somebody close to you's life. So what if they win? Um, so that's my biggest thing because sometimes, you know, the, the bad guy does some naughty stuff to the good guys. I mean, it happens. So you need to be prepared to, to render aid to yourself or your partner. And, uh, I actually, and I say partner and I mean, canines too. Um, I just wrote an article not long ago. It hadn't been published yet. Well, it has been, but it hadn't been sent out for Carolina Fire Rescue Journal, um, talking about that. A lot of people still don't see the need for that basic uh, stop to bleed training or that basic, um, or to carry that basic equipment. But, you know, I'd rather carry that um, than look back and be like, well, you know, what if I would have had that tourniquet there? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe my partner would still be alive because yeah. he got shot, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So that's my biggest advice. If you don't have a tourniquet, get one all right get get a and i'm not saying uh the committee on tactical combat casualty care uh is the know-all be-all when it comes to tourniquets Um, it's a standard but it's a pretty damn good standard that does a lot of research on the equipment that they recommend because it's done through the military it's extensive research and extensive studies so they're not going to recommend shit that is not going to work so look there and um, get your tourniquet uh, take it out of his plastic wrapping, all right, yep. and put it on your gear. Because mm-hmm. I promise you, I've I've done my own study on it. You are not going to mess that thing up by having it on the outside of your gear. Because I had somebody ch- I had an Air Force medic challenge me one time. It was like, well, you're going to mess it up if you put it on the outside of your gear out of that pack. And I was like, okay, cool. I left it on top of a metal roof for 365 days in every bit of South Carolina weather, the worst weather you can find in Columbia, and then ran it through the mud, put it on, and it worked. Um, nothing failed. So 
take it out of the pack. Um, because when you get blood on your hands, it's really hard to open that, uh, you know, that cellophane wrap. Yeah, you want as least amount of steps possible to, to engage that tournament. Time is money. <clears throat> you know, time is yep. life when it comes to that. But that's the yep. biggest thing. Carry equipment for yourself and for your partners. Mm-hmm. Um, take the basic classes to have the knowledge to, you know, a lot of people say, well, if I take the class and I'm going to have to use it, you, you don't. But it's better to have that knowledge and then get into the situation and be like, well, damn, what if I would have taken that class? What if I would have had that knowledge to be able to mm-hmm. use it? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people get, you know, shitty with the public and after so many years of doing it and they're like, well, I just, if I don't take it, then I, I don't have to, I don't do it or I don't have to use it. But they they fail to think about, you know, the ones around them that they love, their brothers and sisters with them. And then um, my next biggest piece of advice if you're in an area and you stay locally in that area um, or you're in a smaller county or city or something like that learn learn each other in the first responder field build a rapport and figure out um, who people are like how people are going to respond during a call Um, it's just like law enforcement right like you you hang around EMS long enough you're going to learn what uh, me and my partner like or what we need from you and then you don't have to stand there and wonder what well, can I help this or am I in the way you just you know you know what we expect like whether you're just standing there or not or whether you're you know you've been around and you've peered through our bag before and I, I say hey hand me a tourniquet out of the bag you know where it is stuff like that like learn your your local resources how much cross training have you seen if any um, between fire and EMS and law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, bigger cities, it happens more often. Yeah. Smaller areas, smaller counties, more rural places, it doesn't happen a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. You see fire and EMS sometimes, but it's usually like a once a year kind of thing, maybe twice a year. Um, <clears throat> or we'll do one big active shooter uh, scenario once a year, once every other year, something like that. But it needs to happen a lot more. Um, because whether we like it or not, we run calls together all the time. If you don't train together, you're not going to be able to fight together. Yeah. So I need to know what you want when you get on scene because, I mean, well, let's let's take it back to something real quick. Um, you know, take two, get my ass beat on a call in Sumter County, and the cop, this uh, this cop comes in to help me, and don't know where my partner is at this time. He's, he's radioing for help somewhere. But, uh, well, the dude lets go of me and starts beating this cop's ass. Because uh, the cop's about, you know, four foot nine, and he's uh, jujitsu, black belt, all that, some kind of crazy nonsense. But this dude was racked out on drugs, and, you know, he felt nothing. So I'm beating this dude's ass, and he lets go of me, and the cop's beating his ass, and then uh, he just picks the cop up and starts slamming him. And he's the only one there um, besides me. So in that situation... I need to know what you want from me. I need to know what I need to do to help you. And that's why building that rapport is a good thing because, I, I mean, I didn't know what to do to help that dude. I mean, I ended up taking my laptop and just beating this dude over the head with it until he finally stopped. <laughs> but Because, I mean, oh, well, I, he, uh, so he took some uh, gas station gas station happy pills and uh, they kind of messed with the, it created a chemical imbalance inside his brain. So he had no idea what he was doing. Oh, wow. Um, they had no idea what was going on, what he was doing, oh, but shit. yeah. And uh, 
So he was just, I mean, we looked like damn rag dolls just beating the hell out of both of us. Yeah. So build that rapport because... <clears throat> There's so many things like that. I mean, you say even just wrestling with a guy. Um, the couple times I've had, I mean, I've had to go, I mean, hands-on everywhere I've worked. Um, and when you got somebody with you, if you can, even while you're wrapped up with somebody and just detach like your head just your mind detaches for just five seconds and you can just communicate hey wrap up his legs and say you're up on his chest you got one of his arms you're arm barring somebody or you got him around the neck or whatever you got to do to get control of that human it it makes a huge it makes a huge difference and just fucking communicate just talk (laughs) i think that's another yeah that's another big problem too especially in ems um I don't know. I've seen it a lot before. Like you're um, too busy thinking about what to do and not talking about what to do. Exactly. And then they get frustrated, uh, especially EMS providers. Like they get frustrated, like with the cops. They're like, well, why aren't you helping? Well, I, I bitch, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, I've this. never been a medic. Well, this dude's kicking around. So why don't you just hold his legs? Aren't you a cop? And they're like, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't know what you know. The cop, the average cop. Like, I don't know what you're doing right yeah. now. Like, I don't know what, like, do I put my hands here? Am I going to be in the way? Like, yep. that's, you know, mm-hmm. and that creates that, that rising tension between yeah. the crews. And No, there was a great, a great cop meme I saw last night. And it was, uh, it's just a picture of a dude. And if, and if y'all saw it, I'll, I'll probably try to reshare it um, after we get off here. And, you know, someone photoshops like a, you know, one of the old school cop hats and they photoshopped like a tube of toothpaste and it, and it said uh, when when I'm on scene with EMS and I don't know what to do in the in the in the and in quotes it says do you need some toothpaste <laughs> like cuz you have no yeah. idea I have like, no idea what you're doing yeah, like, yeah, like I mean you you really don't I need I to mean. do something <laughs> yeah cuz say mean, something absolutely stupid yeah can I can I uh, get you a water a little busy right now Call, Okay, trying to do my part. Call back with my friendship. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah. I will just stay over here and be quiet. <clears throat> yeah, but I, I mean, I've done the same thing too. Being the EMS, you know, on a scene and it turns bad. And I mean, not not so much because I mean, I'll, I'll straight you know jump into a fight in a heartbeat yeah. with any of the cops. I mean, not long ago that was pretty evident. It, <laughs> we had you know the big brawl that we had, and I was like. I was like, man, I can't get there fast enough. I was like, why do I have to be on the other side of this? You know, <laughs> I was just ready to get there. You know, I, I hear some of my good friends in EMS screaming for help, talking about they're in a fight, and I'm like, I am on the way. I am. Are we fighting? We are fighting today. I'm racing. I'm racing law enforcement. Again. I'm like, y'all are getting there for me. I, you know. Um, but a lot of people just stand there, like when stuff like that's going on, and they just kind of do that Homer Simpson, you know, meme where he backs into the bush, and like you just see yeah. EMS just disappear out the house. <laughs> Dude, I can't stand that. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd y'all go? You, you no. know, because you never know. I mean, you might you might end up having help. I yeah. mean, especially yeah. if somebody gains the, the advantage. For you know? sure. So that's 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 my biggest piece of advice: is talk to each other, build that rapport, build that friendship, because it's it's really important. Because I feel a lot more comfortable as a as a firefighter and EMS provider if um, if you're on scene with me. I feel a lot more comfortable and able to do my job without having to worry about what's everything else that's going on because I know 
I know you and I know you have my back and everybody else is back there too versus somebody I don't know or yeah. somebody that's new yeah. or somebody that doesn't care, yeah. you know. And or, then that's, or everybody's always gotten back up from somebody that they didn't want. They're like, well, I would have been better off by myself. Right, yeah, because now you're having to worry about them and everything else that's going on yeah. and your surroundings and that's how things get missed or messed up. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, whenever I've seen people come in on scene or I, there, there's been somewhere like I've already diffused it, I've already got my plan laid out and then... <laughs> Yeah, there, there'll just be somebody. If it's another cop, if it's if it's a firefighter that I know how they how they operate or talk or whatever, I've literally gone out to them. Like they get out of the car and you already see them fucking putting gloves up and they got oh yeah they're they're frowning. You're just like whoa whoa whoa. Oh, I was hello, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I already fixed this. Don't come in. Don't come in here and shit on my rug. Like right. I got I got it. I got it. Right. I yeah. got it. Stop. Because you're gonna make it worse. I might have to. I might have to fix it all. Right. Again. I just. It, you haven't been here for. I've been talking to this chick for 30 minutes. Don't come in here and ruin my shit. I'm telling you. I, I can't. Don't tell come you in how here on my times. scene and fuck it up. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. Um, you know, somebody. You, you get that. You get that. 30 year. 30 year uh, volunteer firefighter or paid firefighter. I, I don't discriminate. I. You know, between volunteer and paid. I, I know that sounded that. That sounded pretty bad, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm a I'm a volunteer firefighter, so but uh, yeah, I don't discriminate between the two. But uh, they come on the scene and they think that they know everything because you know I've been doing this for 30 years, and you might have a wealth of knowledge, but the first thing you should do is what they all you know teach us to do in that uh, those incident management command classes is meet face to face and be like, yo, what's up? Like, you good? Like what's going on that way you can be like hey i've been talking to this bra for 30 minutes all right she's calm cool but my partner tried to walk in the room she started freaking out i had to tell him to get out so don't yeah, go in there because yeah. you're gonna fuck it up yeah don't put gasoline back on my fire that i've already taken care of because i mean i've had that happen to me so many times oh, yeah. um and, you know I, you know especially the connections with uh with us being veterans i've had that happen before too where i've connected with somebody that was having a problem they were a veteran um yep. and then somebody just comes in there just being a just trying to be a dick like oh, I'm tired of waiting we got to go and I just lost everything I've been doing over 25 yep. minutes the the rapport no, I built I will, trust I, I will built. tell somebody to get out of the house off the scene like I I do not care yeah I mean I'll do the I'll do the same you're thing not, too you're gonna and I don't care what their rank is either yeah it's I, I don't care and I mean it comes down if to I've already got again. something resolved. Okay, there's a reason I'm a I'm a deputy. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm working for people higher than me. And that's I mean that's where it comes down to that communication, like you were saying. Like big, hey, like I thing. got this. If you don't yeah. trust me, why am I working for you? Yeah, right. Or exactly. why are you my supervisor? Or however high that level goes. All right, dude. Well, I like it. Um, so anything you want to hit on uh, with Valkyrie? Anything coming up? Uh yeah. That you're so be involved with I saw where the uh, the canine. Yeah, it's actually we sold out uh, a couple of days ago. Yep. Um, so how many how, did you cap the slots? How many is it going to be? Uh, so they do cap the slots. So I, I'm not. Um, you can only have like so many students per. Yeah, you can only. Well, so the K9 TCC is 
you know, created by one of our dudes and um, some veterinarians and mm-hmm. experiences over the past. So we could really have it to open to as many people as we want it to be. I mean, we'd have hundreds of people, but you start to lose the span of control, things like that. Right, that's right. Um, so that's why we cap it, uh, especially with this uh, uh, caliper of, of training, too. You want to cap it so you make sure every student gets that good um that good learning environment. They can ask those one-on-one questions, have those practicals, things like that. Uh, and everybody gets enough attention mm-hmm. when it comes to their question or um, their needs in mm-hmm. class. So that's why we cap it. But the exact number that we cap it at, I could not tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I probably had that number in my head about five minutes ago. Uh, you know, yeah, I, didn't, and, I didn't see the slides. I saw where it sold out, and I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I don't know how many people that's going to be, but I. I assume it's going to be in the the probably low twenties. I could be completely wrong, but that's generally mm-hmm. where most classes cap out is like yeah. between twenty and twenty four. Yeah. Um, optimal even, sixteen. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I I can look it up. Yeah. Later, but um, yeah, so you definitely want to. Cause I mean, there's some classes where you can you can kind of go higher, but with that one because it's it's a special unit. Well, then the, anybody with a canine that's going to be part of a special unit. I mean, depending on the size of the department. I mean, some people just have a dog. Yeah. Um, but most places, like, they're because um, I mean, around here, like the people that have dogs, like the dogs aren't on shift work; they're on special units. Yeah, and uh, so a lot of some of the people that are seen in the class are pre-hospital providers too, not just uh, not necessarily just handlers. Mm, uh, okay. You got EMTs and. Firefighters okay. and things like that, because that's some. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to be all handlers. Uh, so it's open to all the pre-hospital um, care providers, basically, and that's a that's a big push too. Is uh, canine medicine in the pre-hospital environment? Because hmm. there is none. Uh, Florida just recently, last week, signed into uh, signed into law that EMTs can now transport a uh, a, um, a uh, canine working. And that, just ma- and that just makes sense. But also, I mean, Governor DeSantis is doing a lot of common sense stuff for yeah. first responders. I mean, he's very pro first responder. I mean, he's he's yeah. listening to people. He's like, oh, when you do this, cool. Like, yeah. hey, hey, Say now, less. hey, hey, Congress or state Congress, like, make it happen. I'll sign it. Right. What do we got to do for our boys? And that's so that's just something we're kind of, you know, trying to raise that awareness and not just a handler um, because. Again, you could be firefighter EMT in a uh, in a stack. You know, you could be that tactical medic or that tactical responder, and then there'd be a canine on scene that goes down, and you have to work on them because yeah. you could be trained as a handler, and me and you are trained in the same level. I, I I'm EMS, or I'm that the Tims or the the TAC medic, and you're a law enforcement officer. We're trained in the same level, but if something happens, they're gonna look at me. Everybody's gonna look at me first, right? Because I'm the medical provider. So that's why we're kind of not just for the handler, but for the pre-hospital care provider mm-hmm. as well. Um, so that one, that one's coming up very, very soon. Couple of weeks. It's all sold out. Um, hopefully, it's gonna be a good turnout. It was the last class we did. Great turnout. Um, great instruction. Very knowledgeable uh, people who wrote and will be delivering this instruction um, and and knowledgeable students too. I mean, you know, if you if you go into a class as an instructor and you don't learn something from one of your students and you're doing something wrong, 
Um, I mean, yeah. that's just, you got to go into it with an open mind. So I say students too um, in that realm. And then, of course, we got, you know, TCC classes coming up, uh, tactical emergency casualty care. Uh, we got some openings for CPR, uh, different, different, different types of classes. I mean, you can yeah, go online I've to. I've seen uh, the, uh, or I've got that up right now, but have you seen an uptick in demand? Or y'all just kind of playing it by ear right now for like just the, the pace of classes like hey how often do I do uh, you know how often are you doing a uh, TECC class how often am I, am I doing a canine one so we're generally doing the bigger classes like TECC we're doing one a quarter um, okay. Okay. and we're getting a, a, a fair amount of response with that um, the canine one is has once a year but now yeah, it's a little bit more specialized so yeah but we sold out this last class so it might be time to add a second one you know mm -hmm, start mm -hmm. start trying to gauge and that that more of an interest um, so when I first started teaching back in 2014-15 I had my own business um, and my buddy had a business as well and the demand just wasn't there um, we started this started doing the same thing the Valkyrie's doing now back then and the demand just wasn't there to sustain it. Yeah. But nowadays, yeah. the demand is there. I mean, yeah. so much has changed. And yeah, definitely had to play it different. Yeah, and it's it's becoming more and more, you know, oh, this is actually real. So yeah. the demand is becoming more and more. And I mean, we teach, we teach a lot of stuff and all the way, not just tactics uh, or tactical medicine. We teach CPR too, um, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, wilderness first aid. Um, That's the one I've been kind of response. talking about that I want to, me and Thomas were talking about, um, I think I shared something about like land nav or whatever, and he was like, well, what do you think about a, a you know, we were just spitballing a land nav course, which always kind of comes up in our kind of realm, because that is, it is something you are taught in the military. Now, yeah. if you actually fucking use it, whole nother ball game, there's yeah. always the joke about the loot, the LT's always going to get lost, like all that shit. <clears throat> and uh, I was like, I was like, man, like by itself, because it's not sexy. No, it's not. I was not. like, by itself, <clears throat> no. But I bet if you put it in that wilderness class, if you have nav, med, some type of like preparedness for shelter, food, whatever, like a little basic and, survival and, course, and we'll fucking we'll fucking help with that all day. But yeah, so I got the website up right now for some of y'all that don't know, uh, upstatevalkyrie.com. So they got. The TECC, uh, which we talk about the most, um, and I, because I think it's the best. I think it's the best one um, that really anybody, <clears throat> like Valkyrie or us or anybody, it could offer. I think that is the best one because it's such a mix of law enforcement, EMS, civilians, all that. Uh, Rescue Task Force, which is just for emergency services. There's the canine class. Um, active shooter, that's a command class that's closed to emergency services. Um, advanced marksmanship, which is, as of right now, is only going to be <clears throat> military and law enforcement. Uh, breacher's course, which y'all talk about the breacher's course a lot, but that's a very specialized course, too. Usually the specialized ones are, are a little funner and sexier. Um, CWP, that's pretty standard for people to teach. Um, site assessment, which is, that, that's fun too, because it's always a different, different personnel, different kind of sites, and I have a little bit of experience in that, but nothing, nothing crazy. Leadership series, which is always, that's wide open too. Fitness programs, that's wide open, and Brewer, 
Brewer will find something that'll fuck you up. He oh, tagged, yeah. He tagged us in something the other day. I didn't even know what half of it was. He was like, hey, you got to do this this day. And I was like, Bo, I'm coming off of work and nights all weekend. Yeah, I ain't doing I that. that. It was like, I'm not doing that shit. It was like <laughs> like 30 reps, ETMOM. And I'm like Googling. I'm like, what the ETMOM workout? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what is this? Yeah. Like, and then uh, CPR, AED, uh, training. Uh, a lot of these, we, I had to teach all this in security. Um, and then the last one, um, church security detail. Um, a lot of people always ask me about that because we'll do security at hospitals or we'll do we'll that's work not, a that's becoming really big actually. Uh, it's been coming up for a while. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, there's a couple in there that are um, not uh, like rigid, like kind of in their structure and in the in the course material or assessment material. Um, I mean, any any good company, which I'm sure Thomas already has. Um, I mean, you have like uh, I don't know, like an outline for uh, for church security. Like you're looking oh, absolutely. at exit, you know, uh, exits, entrances. Oh, he's got a I mean, whole egress, check off list. Yeah, he's, there's lists know. and stuff for all that. But the fun thing about those is every church is going to be different. There's going to be different people that are in those churches. Um, They're going to be built differently. The communities veterans. are different. There's going to be veterans in there. There's going to be other cops in there. Do they want to be involved? Do they not want to be involved? Are you downtown uh, or are you in a rural area? Yeah. You got a five-second response or you got a 15-minute? Yeah, and then in a broader site, uh, security site assessment. I mean, that can be for businesses and for, um, you know, for your home, yeah. for your property. We just um, recently did one for a... Um, a lot of those. <clears throat> th- those can be pretty fun. Yeah, we just did one recently for a uh, smaller business. Not a, <laughs> I wouldn't say small business. I'd say probably about a medium-sized business and all their property. And, and I mean, just talking about, like, our, you know, we kind of we don't really go into cyber as much because, um, you know, that's, you know, all of us are a bunch Again, of ground pounders. But, yeah, that's not um, really in our wheelhouse. But we talk about, like, if you got a server room, how secure is it? Like, you know, can somebody break in and just, you know, fry your computers? Things like that. Like, yeah. what happens if somebody, can somebody breach your entry, your first entry? What, you yeah. know, where are you going? Things like that. And the I think the biggest thing that we... Yeah, well, was, well I mean, so all that, that's all physical security. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think the biggest thing that we... But, I mean, that's, we, the, that's the first line. Oh, absolutely. Because once you, I mean, yeah... No, nah, I know what you're saying. Sorry, yeah. I just lost my train of thought there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the two hours of sleep was catching yeah, up. About to. We were going down. We were going, I was going down such a good road there, and then it just it was like, no, not anymore. Two hours of sleep in a... In a Adrenaline shot. I'll do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shot, whatever we're drinking today. And uh, But I think the biggest thing that we pride ourselves in is um, uh, from Valkyrie, and I know Thomas does too, is the versatility that we have. Um, like you were talking about earlier, uh, between having law enforcement, firefighter, EMS, military, um, all of us bring a lot to the table from various walks of life that cover a, a huge array of things, and we don't limit ourselves to just teaching. You know these classes. Like if you if your department calls and says, "Hey, like." Um, let's just say fire department, for instance, like, Hey, like I want to do this type of class. Can you help me out with that? We'll build it. Um, you know, Thomas will build it. Or if it's a medical class, he'll reach out to me and I'll build it. Or if it's law enforcement class, he'll reach out to brew, brew, build it. Yeah. And then we'll do it. Yeah. Um, I like it. And that's, you know, we like the versatility to be able to give 
people what they need instead of just saying, hey, well, you can take this class. It'll kind of hit a little bit what you need, sure. you know, but not all of it. So yeah. that's, a, that's a big thing about that. Um, and then we're actually um, moving into uh, doing a SWAT competition or a tactical competition. Yeah, so what's what's kind of your part of that? Uh, so we're going to be doing, or I say we, uh, I, I seen, guess me and my multiple seen, personalities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any of the... Uh, of the, I don't even know what he's gonna, how he's going to break it down or call it because the only ones I've been Kinda. involved, like phases or or whatever, because I've only been involved with with long distance shooting comps so oh, far. This just, this dude has built a concept state, of operation stage, with phases and yeah, completions and right. I mean, it, if I've ever seen basically, uh, I'm telling you, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he if you know Thomas bust out with a you know. Uh, five paragraph operations order and it's like yo here's what's happening you know like yeah, this is it um you know that's just the infantry coming out on them sometimes yeah. but uh <laughs> no it's really good it's really detailed and i don't want to give away a lot of it um uh, but yeah. it is broken down into uh, different phases and well, y'all threw um, in some med in there oh yeah there's definitely gonna be men there because i mean it's a big deal like because it's too um, easy it's bro it's too easy where we've done like stress inoculation in the training it's like hey this guy's down tourniquet left leg before you Go. can move forward right and before, it's, yeah and it that stumbles people a lot yeah. because they don't just practice it routinely throwing it, just throwing a wrench into their system yeah and they say no now they're covered in fake blood and they're like what the hell is you know <laughs> happening here but that's yeah, gonna be a be part fun. of it um there's a different different phases um but it's gonna employ every member of a tactical team whether it be you know because i mean SWAT, I, I hate to say swat because you have um you have cert or you have swat or you you know but that specialized team it's going to incorporate every member not just focus on tactics and leave out the breacher or leave out the med dude and we're gonna we're gonna hit everybody's specialty yeah. in this competition and well, it's going to be looking, in november i'm looking forward to it I am too. It's going to be a lot of work, but I really feel like it's going to be a good time. Um, yeah, and then good networking too. Yeah, good networking, but we don't have stuff like that in South Carolina. And that stuff like that, like you look at North Carolina, North Carolina has that um, through their Tactical Officers Association. Yeah. And they have things like this, and they have such a statewide camaraderie when it comes to different agencies. We don't have that in South Carolina. Um we don't have these tactical competitions for you know different law enforcement agencies in South Carolina and, and and things like that. So that's what we're trying to ultimately do. And it's a it's a um, it's going to be a not for profit event, not a non profit event, but a not for profit event. So that yeah. means Valkyrie itself is not going to profit off of this event. We want to do this to bring agencies from around the state together. Um, and hopefully they can, you know, let's just say, you know, A County watches way B County's team works and they're like, Hey, we like that. Yeah. Let's get with them and let's try well, to make that. There's different, um, like different tiered, different to, you can be like tier one, tier two. Oh yeah. And they got different, different standards. Some of them will work together. Some of them won't. I mean, you look at some of them, some cities inside of a County, they wouldn't even work together. Um, and I mean, we stupid, which is stupid. We've seen that uh, in Valkyrie out teaching teaching a TCC class. 
you know, this, it's not the city. It's the county doesn't want anything to do with the smaller town. Yeah. And I'm like, why? You know, um, they just, they don't want to, you know, we had to, we, we listened to that from a, a police chief one time that said, well, I got to call another city over because the county, you know, you know, doesn't want to send us or doesn't want to do this. And I was like, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know? No, it doesn't. Well, dude, we've been going two hours, so Damn. I think that's, yeah. We'll figure out more to cover next time, and we'll get you and Brew together, you and Thomas, or whatever combination. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed it. Till next time. So that wraps up episode 25 with Corey. Wanted to finish up this being our 25th episode. The last time I gave you all an update on some numbers and stuff where we're sitting with the podcast was episode 10. Um, <clears throat> going down our stats here. 815 uh, plays all time. Audience has been sitting around 30. Uh, let's see, 21 unique listeners, whatever that means. Um, got a little bit of money coming in with the anchor reads. Nothing really to show off about. Um, during, let's see, it kind of groups these in, in weeks. So about two weeks ago, <clears throat> the week, well, the week of June 2nd to the 8th was kind of our biggest, biggest stretch with 125 listens. Um, so that would include episode 20, 19, 20, 21. Um, so I had a big uptick there. The initial or our first podcast with with Valkyrie episode 9 was our biggest uh, that has uh, 98 unique plays listenership we're still sitting at 97% United States 1% Puerto Rico less than 1% Germany and less than 1% Canada A eh? Spotify still sitting at number 1 uh, platform at 51%, Apple Podcasts 35%, Podcast Addict at 3%, and 11% other. Our gender breakdown is getting better where I want it. This is, so all those other numbers are kind of combined uh, outside of Spotify and Anchor. You know, they're the same thing. So, um, so these numbers are specifically through Spotify, 73% male, 26% female. Uh, age groups are in the 40 percentile with 23 to 27, 57%, 28 to 34, and 2% at 35 to 44. And there's a couple above that, but it's less than 1%. All right, so there's just catch up with the numbers where we're sitting, where we're growing. Um, Facebook page is, is tickling 900. Um, a lot more people liking and sharing our stuff, which is which is exciting. Um, some people are trying to, you know, maybe build some relationships with, get some sponsorships, maybe open up some doors, um, so we can broaden this thing out. Uh, make sure to check out our our Shopify store that can <clears throat> help us with a little 
little money flush. Um, Valkyrie also has an online store. Um, they're gonna they're about to offer a lot more with some of their med gear on top of just you know logo merch. So as always, make sure to like, share, review, and subscribe all of our material, uh, whatever your favorite platforms are for CTG um, and for Valkyrie. Not many people have been uh, reaching out with anything, uh, you know, with any gripes or complaints or recommendations. So I'm just going to assume y'all are liking what we're doing so far and who we have on here so far. So, um, I mean, I kind of joke around about us winging it and, you know, winging it week to week. And <clears throat> But, I mean, I always have ideas to talk about. I mean, law enforcement has been in the spotlight for a couple years now, so there's always going to be something to talk about. Um, you know, some some big cases and incidents that happen, eh, we've kind of been dancing around those. Um, but we've talked about and they've been talking about it on the um failure stop podcast with mike the cop and stanzi um about monday morning quarterbacking some stuff and some instances and things that other officers get involved in and um i kind of it's necessary to monday morning quarterback because and i and i'm gonna explain that here real quick for anybody that played ball growing up, you know, what did you do like the next day or the weekend after a game? You'd watch game film and you would study. And hey, you missed this check, you mixed this read, and uh, and they talk about that on failure to stop, and I really liked that analogy. And that's where I think, uh, you know, some people make mistakes of, um, you know, judging critical incidences and. I mean, they do need to be judged and studied, but put a positive spin on it, not just, oh, well, I would have done this, and I would have done that. And, you know, it's like, hey, motherfucker, you weren't there. You didn't feel the stress or anything. Um, so we'll we'll kind of get into that a little bit more and make sure it's productive for other cops that listen to this. And so people that are not in law enforcement or first response or in first response at all, help them understand why certain decisions were made, you know, why certain laws and certain policies are in place to understand some of those actions. All right, guys, again, hope you enjoyed it. If you liked it, let me know. If you didn't like it, still let me know. Have a good one.